Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very excited to have Yev Barkalov joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Very pumped for this. For those who don't know Yev's background, he's an 18-year-old hacker who recently graduated from Lowell High School in San Francisco and committed to Rochester Institute of Technology, RIT for Computer Science. In 2018, he organized San Francisco's first high school hackathon and has since been working at software startups in the Bay Area, including Replit, as well as LaunchDarkly, where he currently works. And you can find the links in the bio. That's yev.yev.bar, as well as his Facebook and LinkedIn profiles. All right, Yev, let's start things off with one of our favorite questions to ask our guests. What are your thoughts on the direction of our world? Um, uh, <laughs> I think things are obviously there's uh, when it comes to climate change or maybe other political circumstances there are definitely things to be worried about but at the same time there is a notable amount of hope and optimism in a, in a lot of people that you can also feel assured things will balance out in the end if not turn out for the better I guess as well uh, I think like, like at a that, that's uh, how it goes at the larger scale for the individual scale as well. I think it's really as like whatever you want to see, it's very much possible for you to make that happen for yourself. And in very, I guess I'm very idealistic in that sense, but I think that's very much true for everyone. Mm -hmm. The global challenges, we have uh, the Gen Z and even the younger generations going forth and wanting to tackle those. We have individual capacities, creative capacities that are being unleashed at unprecedented rates to do that, which is very exciting. That's a good synthesis. And then how about we learn, let's jump into more on the journey side. Um, okay, so you're born in Moscow, moved to SF when you're only three months old. Yes, so unfortunately I cannot run for president, but... Uh, <laughs> Which, who knows, things may change in the future. Who knows, who knows? Who I don't knows? know, we'll who see, knows? cross our fingers. Yeah. Yeah, who knows, <laughs> who knows? Um, but this part is crazy. When did, when did, when, so you're born deaf. So I was born completely deaf, and I was born in 2001, where at the same time, California did pass legislature so that newborns would get, uh, within, when they're like two, three days old, they'd get checked for vision and hearing. However, back in Russia, they did not have that, and I never got that, even when I moved here. So I was just like going around not hearing effectively for the first two years of my life. And it was during this time that uh, no matter where we were living, I would always sleep amazingly because I couldn't hear anything. My parents would be confused. But, and so it's like no matter what, what the hell the neighbors were up to, I'd just be like lying around. And when it, was, when, it was about two, when it was about two years old, it was like, a, he's not quite responding the way we would expect a, child, a, a baby to be responding. And so I went to an audiologist and they realized, oh, he has profound hearing loss. I am deaf in both ears. And so I got my first implant on my right side when I was two and a half years old and the second on my left when I was five. And so that's effectively like two, three years of not being able to learn anything at all. And Whoa. so. Yes, this is 10 years of speech therapy and I think it's done me well. <laughs> Whoa, and so then this is, so what, what, what is the test that uh, we currently use for, uh, for checking on babies? Um, ability? For checking on babies, uh, so like the test, uh, whenever I go for an audiologist appointment, it's always the same and I assume it's gonna be the same for infants. What you do is you get, um, you know how Microsoft or these other uh, big uh, universities will have this big room with either like foam spikes in the walls that's supposed to capture all the sound. Mm -hmm. They have like, they have a few of those at, at the hospitals I've seen. And where it's just like chambers. Yes, like chambers, like really thick walls. And like the door looks like something you'd see at a bank, just like a thick door. And so when you're locked in, it's very much silent. They'll have speakers in the corners of the room or maybe in some other uh, strategically placed spots and we'll just play beeps or, or they will have someone uh, playing sounds. So for me, uh. the test I could be taking is like, they'll play a beep, and they'll play at a different pitches, different volumes, and I'll either respond by raising my hand or maybe pushing a button in my hand to say, I've heard that sound or I didn't hear that sound. And uh, there another test that might be only for older people might be like, they'll play sentences, either plain audio or in some background noise, they'll have like a loud uh, mall uh, audio and they'll say a sentence. And so my job is to respond or repeat the sentence. 
So for infants, they might just have the beeps, and if they see the baby going, whoa, there's a, there's a sound there, they can tell, okay, this infant has heard and responded to the sound. And so that's probably the test that I received when I was younger. And since I was not visibly responding to any of the sounds being displayed, they derived I could not hear. And then what happened at two and a half um, on the right side? So, on, so on both, it was the same thing, the same uh, surgery, if you will, on both sides where they, uh, excuse the gory details, they, they, uh, they sort of okay, cut open the skin and not like all the way at the skull, but like, almost, like maybe halfway there, if you will, they implant this device. And I do not know the technical specificities of it, of uh, what they do near the inner cochlea or the inner ear but they are supposed to hook some things up there as well so that now the final product, skin's closed up, there is a device there. And after the surgery, it was maybe a month or maybe like a, like a few weeks before they can actually activate my implants. So I, even after the surgery, I couldn't get it tested or anything. So they turn it on and the way this device works is, I think I showed you this earlier. So this outer device, there's a, I don't know if you can see, there's this small flimsy microphone at the end. This picks up the sounds. Uh, through the air, this little bulky guy at the end is a battery. So plug it in, the device turns on. This part in the middle, the brown part in the middle, that is a uh, audio processor. And so this, once it picks up the sounds, it converts the sounds into electric signals, then goes up to the headpiece here. And this headpiece sticks onto my head via magnet. So that's how it's not falling off. When I get lots of hair, I need to get a haircut so it doesn't fall off too easily. And that's how it works, I guess. And that's what I got on both sides and it's like uh, two, three weeks before activation on both sides, if I remember correctly. And it was a four or five hour surgery for one side, which is pretty remarkable because my youngest wow. sibling, she's three, and she's also deaf like me. And for her, she got, she got both her devices in, in three, four hours, like the same time it would take for me to get one, and it's activated one, two weeks after, which is like half the time for me. And so you can see already there's a progression of technology. It took 15 years, but there was a progression of technology there. And so that's def it's definitely showing how, how much earlier and earlier we can help people that are uh, either certain, under certain circumstances or whatever else may be seen. And so with me, I guess there might be a different uh, development, developmental story where for, for my youngest sibling, uh, she will probably be, she didn't, she was unable to hear for like the first uh, five, six months of her life before getting her implants, whereas I, would, well, I went almost three years. And so there might be a different story of her being able to almost live as a normal functioning human, whereas yeah. with me, there was a, there was lots of speech therapy, there was lots of uh, out extracurricular studying and other activities for me to do. And so there's definitely that as well. You've done an excellent job. Like you were speaking extremely well today, <laughs> extremely well. And for someone to actually have went through uh, two years of time, yeah, to without um, actually receiving input, auditory input, yeah. mm -hmm. and then to be able to have science and technology do something like that, yes. to that receiver piece right by your ear, the audio processing, and then being able to convert that into signal into you to be yes. able to understand what's happening. I mean, wow, that's like beautiful <laughs> that we have that. Like, I mean, it's, it's also kind of funny as well when, uh, especially here in the valley. Oh, thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing this there up. There we are. <laughs> so here in the valley, you might see a lot of people that are like either futurists, transhumanists, and they're all like starting to put maybe small chips in their hands. And I'm already, I got a full auditory, I got one of my five uh, quintessential senses been replaced by technology. So I feed them all now. <laughs> and that is... Your yeah. cyborg, yeah. Yes. What's the deal with um, your sister also being uh, deaf? So how, do, how does that happen? Is this genetic or what? Uh, it's, it's definitely a genetic thing. But neither mom or dad or um, neither, neither my parents, neither my parents right above me uh, genetically have a hearing condition. However, I believe there, uh, there was maybe grandparents or great-grandparents who did have some hearing impairment later in their life. So there is a, it's probably a recessive gene, if, uh, most likely. And so there's me, two siblings in the middle who are both of which are, they are normal hearing, but uh, they both wear glasses like me. And now the youngest one, she's deaf like me and she also wears glasses. So she's like this little mini me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Dr. Evil with the mini Dr. me, like that's Evil my mini me. mini me. Yeah, yeah. 
And then, um, how, when you're growing up, when did you start programming? Uh, so with me, uh, like because I was deaf for two, three years, I needed to uh, catch up to my age group somehow. And the way that went is that my, I would be getting lots of workbooks. I just like I'd go to school and then I come home and I just continue studying. I'd be getting all these workbooks, working on these problems or whatever else. And with that, my parents found that I had a, a bit of an aptitude for mathematics. And my dad, who is an engineer, he's like, okay. This is before like, tech really took off in San Francisco. There are some startups and there's some uh, bit of a community here. We should teach him computer science. It will work uh, several years down the road when he's looking for a job. It's also a very safe career path as well. And so I, like, I started tinkering around, tinkering around when I was maybe seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. Nothing terribly substantial. Maybe what you'd see in uh, like a, a first intro to programming course today in like, a high, high school course. And like so scratch, maybe some click and drag blocks, nothing that will impress most people other than myself. If you know, it's like, I made something in the middle of a game. Mm -hmm, yeah. and, uh, but things uh, became a bit more uh, proficient, if you will, towards middle school and high, uh, middle school when I was taking some online courses for, with uh, C, Java, some actual programming languages, something that could actually be applied in industry. Not that it was industry ready at the time, but something a bit more relevant, if you will, to the modern age. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, um, that's when things really took off with going to hackathons and other tech-related events. And you started in high school going into, into hackathons. Yes, it was uh, my freshman. I know this is uh, maybe on the roster, but I'll just go ahead now. Uh, the, my first year of high school, I went to my very first hackathon. It was Hacking mm -hmm. EDU. You have these images to pull oh. up as we go, yeah. So this is uh, me uh, just in the fall when I was a sponsor at a hackathon giving a talk. But um, in my freshman year of high mm -hmm. school, um, it was Hacking EDU. That event was 1,500 plus people or so. Yeah. And for me, going into that, I, the most I could say about programming was like, okay, I have some ideas, some concepts of recursion functions. And because I was like reading uh, the, maybe a C textbook, like that's as much as I could see, like, okay, I know everything there is to know. Websites, apps, those are just black magic. And then when I go to the event, the hackathon, and the way it goes, a hackathon is like an impromptu science fair where yeah. over 24, 36 hours, you make something yes. and you present it to judges. And when I was there, I, I was, uh, th there was Pebble, it's, it was acquired by Fitbit. So a company has died since my first hackathon, but um, it, before it was acquired, you could, do, you could make Pebble watch apps. And so I made this little janky thing with like 90s colors and retro themes and stuff. And so now I could see my, pro, my coding skills on technology, other than a black box on my computer, on my wrist, and it's got colors. Mm. And that just blew me away for one thing. And on top of that, when I look around the, uh, the whole event space and I see people with websites and applications and robots and all these things, I then saw, wait, these, these, this, like, this black magic is not a whole world beyond me. It's something that even I can pick up now. And so since then, I've just been like, going down Google rabbit holes, checking out stuff on Medium, Stack Overflow, whatever else, and just really climbing all this information. And so that, and I unfortunately ran into the same loop where every hackathon I will pick up something new, I'll learn a lot, and because there isn't much to show, I'll just scrap everything. So the event never happened effectively. <laughs> but the, the thing I always do take away from every event is that I learn a lot from it, where I learn something new. I, build, I add on to my giant hammer that is coding. And so my hammer gets bigger and bigger. And now if I wanted to sit down and make a website, I could swing that hammer, I could make it. If I want to make a mobile application, I could swing my hammer, I could make it. And it's about giving me this capability that's yes. very much within anyone's reach that I wanted to add to my own uh, personal, uh, tool to my own tool set. And so that is something I've been continuing since on this everlasting loop. But the thing that came as a result of that is, even as I took over as the president of the coding club at my high school, is that um, President of Coding Club at yes. the high school. Yeah, nice. yeah, so that's how I learned about my first hackathon. There was a, I found the coding club at my high school, and then once the leaders graduated, I took over. Cool. I was the dictator, effectively. And, and with that, I would always continue going to these hackathons. It would be going on BART, Caltrain. Uh, I've even biked. Uh, it's like at the start of the SF Conoco article where I biked uh, from SF to Palo Alto. I stayed up overnight on some Red Bull, then I biked from Palo Alto up to Fremont, 
and then I stayed at that hackathon. I won the first hackathon, my friends didn't come to the second one, so I was just hacking and staying up on Red Bull. No, I did win a video game tournament at the second one, so I won something at both hackathons. <laughs> and so I biked through all that, I've biked, I've done everything to go around the Bay Area, and, but the thing is, every time I come back to my club for a club meeting, I tell them, this hackathon was awesome. Hackathons are amazing. I can make things. There's all these people that are into coding. And every time, they just be like, we can't throw out hours to travel around the Bay Area. Like, we simply cannot do this. So after waiting three years, like, this is, like, it's not going to happen in San Francisco if I keep waiting for it to happen. So I decided, fuck it, I'll make it happen. And so through many months of, Fun. Uh, like it was my first time organizing a larger event, so it was, it was a large learning process along the way. And so from that, I organized Hack the Fog. It was San Francisco's first high school hackathon. And we had 75, 100 people show up. Uh, we had quite a few sponsors from Facebook and Google. And it was. Those are huge sponsors. Yes. 75 people. Uh, yeah, 7,500, I believe. 7,500. And these are the next um, images we have, too, are the actual. <laughs> this was me at Los Altos Hacks. It was, God, it was March this past year. And so I, I came as a mentor because I figured I'd, I'd be much more. So you mentoring other Yeah, so people. I'd be much yeah. more able to contribute to the atmosphere of the event as someone helping out other people be able to code. And so that's why I was a mentor here. Uh, that is, uh, she's- That's huge. You took leadership roles, you took mentorship <laughs> roles when you were young. Yes. Those are huge. Well, I, I guess for like the leadership and taking charge bit of it, I did martial arts for 10 years and I took a few year break. I'm getting back to it now. Martial but, arts for 10 years too. Yes. Uh, and so part of that, uh, part of the, uh, one of the things I picked up from that experience was sort of being able to take on leadership in a group and being able to help people, lead people and like teach people what I know, because obviously for every different kind of person, you'll have to share what you know in different, different forms, whether it's more verbally, more visually, more uh, maybe you want to include more uh, physical gestures when displaying content or information. Yeah. And so realizing that there's everyone's always in a learning mode. Everyone's always learning something new. And I have things that I know some things that other people might not know. And so constantly being in the sharing and teaching mode as well uh, definitely yes. is very viable. Couple, couple things. Oh, sure. Um, one of the things that I want to mention here is that you bring up this idea that when you see a black box, if you can take incremental steps to learn how the black box works, you can all of a sudden start seeing that you know how to make the websites, you know how to make the apps, you know how to build the robots, you know how to do the things that see, or even for us, things like editing video, you see really beautiful video up and then you're like, Who, how the hell they make that? <laughs> well, actually after like years of work as well in the space, like you can actually start getting close to that. Yeah. You know? So these are the very important ideas to get kids tinkering, building, um, making yeah. at young ages, because then they can see themselves mm -hmm. in the space. I'm very impressed. These are some of the photos from the Hack the Fog, the first high school hackathon that you organized um, in SF that, uh, you know, you guys play as well. I am slightly concerned about the Red Bull thing that <laughs> I am. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I d definitely I have racked up quite a caffeine tolerance, so that is admittable. <laughs> But like comparing to either my either comparing to other engineers I know or other people I know, it's like everyone's got varying degrees of caffeine tolerance. It's like okay, your I homeostatic capacity is going to change as you get older. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to do things. Oh like, yes, yeah, I, I, like chug red bulls <laughs> overnight. I, I am yes, uh, definitely. Um, with a lot of people I spend time with, are maybe five, ten years older than me, and so it's very. And so there's often a lot of contrast, and you are just oh yeah. You're, you're pulling all these all-nighters, my God. 28-year-olds aren't doing that, no, no. <laughs> the last time I pulled an all-nighter, like that's kind of the responses Your I usually response, get. Yeah, and yeah. so there comes in a powerful moment of wisdom as well, where it's like, there are, there are just, there are just like definitely these things that I can take advantage and be able to do now that won't be as possible in the future. That's so yes. realizing these things, uh, recognizing them, and then being able to enjoy them now. Yes, and build. Yes, with build, the time. do you all these crazy short things. slot to before, time. Before the, before the tools and capabilities that I would need to physically do these things now are gonna be gone, I should do them now and be able to enjoy them. And even when I can't do them in the future, I can still spend time like either with the next uh, young hacker, future me, whatever that would look like, 
then be able to share my experiences, my little tips, like, I don't know, uh, separate your Red Bull so you drink like a can an hour, every hour, don't drink it all now because you'll crash later. Like, I don't know, these small <laughs> tips. And just like share that because I have personal experiences and empirical evidence, I can say these things are better or worse. And so I can still continue the flow of information and continue sharing what I have, even when I can't physically do those things. Is there a way to be able to congregate, you know, here you're at your hackathon, you're 75 to 100 people. In a short bit of time, you're trying to, you know, that's why you want the time together instead of sleeping, is to be able to hack these things <laughs> together and have something at the end that you've built. You know, these, that's very well, powerful. The, the funny thing is, uh, I, this is definitely probably an age thing, but when you're like high school age, you can go for a long time just off of natural energy. Like I will drink more caffeine than I should in my day, but like even with or without caffeine, I could probably go for 24 hours just like hacking or doing whatever else. And so for a lot of these people, I don't think we had caffeine at the event. I really want to say we did not have caffeine at the event. Um, like these people were up for the whole thing, like the whole weekend. They were off just from like just from having this natural energy inside of them. And so for them, it's just a matter of directing that energy maybe from playing video games to actually working on things. Yes, yes. And uh, one, of my, the games. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things about um, the hackathon I organized is that before that, almost every hack, every high school, there's a, so in, in the space of hackathons, there are, there are like the OG hackathons, maybe college hackathons, so MHACs, the University <laughs> of Michigan, Penn Apps, University of uh, Penn, uh, there's a the Hack the North at University of Toronto, I believe. And so like these, uh, these large events, like 1,000 plus people, and then you have high school hackathons, which in the Bay Area, it's ridiculously a diluted uh, field where yeah. you have, like this past year, there's like a high school hackathon every weekend. And so, it, and so like, it's great to see these things happening. Although following all that, then you have like, oh my gosh, there's too many hackathons. People are not appreciating them and using them for how they should spend a weekend in a hackathon. But with the high school hackathons I've seen, it just be a general, here's food, here's Soylent, here's stickers and swag. You're under our supervision for 24 hours. Don't do anything illegal. You're fine. And that tends to be how it usually goes. With my hackathon, we had, <laughs> at midnight, we had this, uh, it started off as a battle of the bands because four people brought ukuleles to my hackathon. <laughs> so we had person playing ukulele after the next, after the next, and then, it, and then we turned it into a talent show. Some people had decks of cards, but they were doing magic tricks. And then it turned into improv, and like the whole time, people had like, like sheer joy and enthusiasm in them. Like people describe me as having this yeah energy because I'm always just very enthusiastic about things. Yeah. And being able to share that to others, just like the energy and passion about these things yeah. was a very exciting part about Hack the Fog. When we were doing our presentations, even though it can be a scary experience because for a lot of these people, it was their first hackathon. Like there's there hardly any events in San Francisco they can do they can go to, and this is the first one they could go to. And so even though they're some of them are presenting for the first time, they were still like very energetic and passionate about what they made. No matter if it was a small website they struggled with or it was something they were very experienced with, and they were still able to deliver that. And that was a very awesome part about organizing this event. And even since, when I go to another event or I see uh, some people from my hackathon at other events, they might come up to me after and say, like, you know, yeah, your event was awesome. Like, it's, it's for some people, it's changed them entirely. Some people, it's yeah. just really awesome, exciting experience to go to. And so being able to see just how much of an impact you can have on others and how much it does stay with people is uh, almost empowering and motivating in itself as well. Yep. And then do you get to do something like have other people take over after you go to RIT? Uh, yes, we are We are getting Hack the Fog uh, 2 in the process of being organized. I, love I sort of handed it off because I have, uh, I'm focusing on like getting ready for college, work and yes, other things, yes. but it is definitely gonna happen again. And I will, I will stay around just like hit people in the head, like make sure it's good, make sure it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how does one then um, with, you know, building up the uh, resume of leadership and mentorship and running um, events like this, um, <clears throat> how do you make the decision to go across the country for school? Well, so with me, I apply to quite a large number of schools. There is uh, maybe some things in the college process that could have gone better that I could have spent more time on. But looking at the options I got in the end, 
RIT, it's got it's got a reputable enough of a name here in the valley for engineering. Like it's almost like University of Waterloo. And like it's people, if you say RIT, people know what you mean. And they have a decent computer science program. And on top of that, they with well, the nice thing about RIT is that it has a NTID National Technical Institute for the Deaf, I think. So because I'm deaf, I get a very reduced tuition and it got scholarships on top of that. So Excellent. financially it's it, like the whole, all four years would be the same price as going to another university I got accepted into for one year. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so... That makes a lot of sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. and so looking at where I am now, where as of today I have like a year of industry experience as an engineer, not working off at Starbucks, like actually sitting down and coding for software companies, uh, and then by the end of the summer we'll be closer to a year and a half. So I'm already in perhaps a primed position to enter the industry. So going to college, uh, and it's more for as a matter of experience and then seeing a new place. Uh, yeah. Another nice thing about RIT is that it's all the way in upstate New York. So if I want to go to Canada, I can do that. It's near yeah. Niagara Falls, there's nice views. And it's a very different environment entirely where for me as an SF native, there are many things uh, here in San Francisco, either glance over or take for granted that simply do not exist in other places. So going to RIT will like, even though I, someone can tell me that rent is ridiculously high, I can get a mansion for the price of a studio here. And mm -hmm. like, you can tell me these things, but it's, an, it's one thing to know something and it's another to understand something. And so that's another thing I'm hoping to get out of going to RIT. Cool, and then how did you decide to, um, to not continue working in industry, but go to, yeah. Well, launch. I mean, I am hoping that I can continue working in some capacity. I will definitely, it might be remote, it might be, it might be doing other projects that still deliver an income. Like there's nothing stopping me from opening my laptop and I will probably have plenty of time during the week to do work. So it's a matter of like piecing that through when the time comes. And so once that's set up, I'll attend my classes, I'll try to go to hacking related events on campus, and I'll still go to my dorm room, pop open the laptop, and I'll just be working there. And so. Let's, let's um, unpack um, um, both Replit and uh, Launch Darkly. So what were you doing with them? So Replit was a sponsor at Hack the Fog. And so. And Facebook and Google were too. Yes. You got them to sponsor yes, you. That's, they, big, that's a big deal. <laughs> big and deal. so with Replit, uh, so one of the things about Hack the Fog was a matter of like, we had lots of workshops lined up and little uh, activities so people who were there at the event, they could learn something new or they have very little coding experience, they can actually learn how to make a website or something by the end of the workshop. And so following this, Replit is a, it's an online coding environment, repl.it, mm -hmm. where if you want to, if you say have a Chromebook in your classroom and you still want to teach people computer science, they can use Replit. And so one of the initiatives to that is helping Co making coding more accessible to more people. Mm -hmm. And so this was obviously an exciting initiative that I wanted to contribute to. And so last summer, my role was a growth engineer. It was like a bit of a developer evangelist. I was going to hackathons in New York, Chicago, giving talks, organizing meetups here in the Bay Area, and just generally like helping, these, helping foster these exciting things and helping deliver Replit to the masses. <laughs> and so that was Replit. Mm -hmm. Uh, since then, I've been working as like a software engineering intern or contributing to open source, and now I'm currently working at LaunchDarkly, where I'm a software engineering intern, and I am writing code, shipping software, and... What are they doing? What's LaunchDarkly doing? Uh, LaunchDarkly, so they provide, they provide something called feature flags, where if you have a website you, and you want to add on a new button or a new, a, new, a new color theme or something, you don't want to just send a new code to all your users. What if something breaks? You can test it locally, but there's many other devices we'll run on. And so what if you could put that new feature, that new thing behind a toggle, a flag, flag it on, off, and you give it to 10% of your users. Yep. That way if it breaks, you roll it back immediately. Or if it does work, you can, increment, you can incrementally roll it out. Yep. So 10%, 20%, and eventually you'll roll it out to all of your users. Yes. But in that process, it's safer, it's a more mature development process, and that's how you can get it out. Interesting, and so a lot of the big firms use processes like this, this incremental release. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of large company, large tech companies will usually develop this in-house, but there's like the two big issues that come of that. The first one is infrastructure, where if you are going with a feature flag different uh, development process, you're probably gonna have hundreds, 
maybe even thousands of flags being evaluated for every user. And if you're a large company, say uh, Atlassian or Microsoft, they have lots of users. Like there's a lot of stuff going on there. And so you need to make sure your, your flags don't break. You want to keep it up at all times. The second thing is this, it's a more of a new idea of like a developer experience, just like this UX, UI, a DX developer experience, where you want developer, developers are spending hours making these products and websites. It shouldn't be a pain in the ass for them to do this. And so with LaunchDarkly, we have a, we have a large assortment and variety of SDKs for many different languages and many tools, so that as soon as you're onboarded with LaunchDarkly, the developers can get going with right away, and it's a smooth integration process. They're not bending the back over, trying to add on some internal middleware or whatever else, just so everything can fit through nicely. Like they can get going with it as soon as they start. What's your favorite programming language and why? Well, uh, <laughs> the the thing is, like uh, at this point, I've bounced around uh, between such a large assortment mm -hmm. of languages. It's more like it's now. It's more at the point now is like. Like you, if you want to do something, you want to make an application, you want to make a website, you want to make a mobile app, you can think more based on actions, like what needs to exist. Mm -hmm. And a language is just uh, maybe a slight change in syntax between each one to actually carry it through. Mm -hmm. However, for the sake of for the sake of the meme, I suppose I will say I'll go ahead and say Lisp, uh, mm -hmm. Paul Graham, uh, Richard Stallman, uh, big names in computer science. They all kind of fall in line with loving Lisp because it's a, it's the second oldest programming language, just a year older than Fortran, if that's if that's name sounds familiar. And it's like in and like visually if you're looking at uh, say Lisp code compared to Python JavaScript, it's just terribly different because everything is nested in parentheses, everything is uh, done in uh, uh, post order and there's a specific term for ordering things with the operation first then the arguments and everything all together it's like almost an art piece to, to read Lisp code compared to maybe a React application or a website and so that's like there's a aesthetic appeal to it mm. it's also uh, a nice consequence of writing in Lisp is that if you consider maybe JavaScript there are there's always going to be a few ways you can approach some problem, whether you're sorting, whether you're sorting something or you're searching for some element with some values. There's always going to be like multiple approaches you could take, and so you could end up with like an opinionated develop, uh, development, where like maybe one developer will write it one way, but another person write it another, and you can either get confused by reading the other person's code. Whereas with Lisp, it can be somewhat difficult to write opinionated code because there's it's uh, not restricted, it's more straightforward on how, to, on how to approach problems. And so there's definitely that. Okay, and so there's a, a couple things here. One of the things is that you illustrated this idea of like you identify what you want to build and then you kind of figure out what is the most optimal way to build it and then you pick which programming language well, you, is you, which. You don't, need to, you don't need to consider the optimal way of approaching something, but. Okay. Well, like, uh, kind of. I think it was at the. I think it was at the beginning of this where I said, like, uh, you were asking about the direction of the future of things, how things are going. If you just, if you have a clear idea of what you want, there's always there's going to be multiple ways you can approach it. Yeah. So if I wanted to make a website, I could sit down with a magnetic needle and a and a processing chip and then put that together, or like I could spend tedious and make make a website out of that, or I could sit down and I could make something in HTML, CSS. Or I could go make some, make a web that, uh, website in OCaml Reason or WebAssembly or JavaScript. There's many different pathways and simulations, if you will, you can choose yeah, for it. Correct, yeah. And so it's a matter of just like as soon as you have that specific end goal, there's going to okay. be all these paths. Some are less complicated, some are more complicated, some are more tedious, less tedious. Well, so. it's a, it's also a matter of how familiar you are with these things. Like if I if you are a seasoned front end developer, you might be very the route that once was tedious for you is just a snap. It's an instant. You're very smooth with it, and so you can easily approach that. And so okay. um, with like making uh, an application. There's, you can always break it down into steps. Like think of it as baking. There's always going to be different things, different foods you could create, different things you could cook or bake or whatever, like a cake. With a cake, if you know I want a chocolate cake, I don't know enough about baking to, to ramble on about this, but uh, you could say, hey, I could start with either flour, some baking soda, maybe whip it into a bowl, then put it into the oven, or I could do something a bit more vegan. I could use different ingredients. 
or I maybe use a microwave kit where I just simply toss it together and I microwave it and I have a cake. And so there's going to be different options. You have a cake in the end, you have a website in the end, you have an application in the end. It's <laughs> just that you might have approached it differently or there might be some routes you're very familiar with, like a, like a very experienced chef might always go with bacon in the oven route because he's very experienced with it. Sure, to me, sure. it'd be a pain in the ass, like, what the fuck, what, what temperatures, what is this and that? But to him, it might be a different experience. And the same yeah. is with programming, where you might have someone choose one tool, one language, but if they know just like breaking down into steps and the recipe of it, like they know they're gonna need cake material, whether it's flour or something else, they're gonna need frosting, whether it's organic, artificial, they're gonna need these things that you can break down into steps, like make the cake, add frosting, uh, have a server, add on the front end, whatever, you, whatever tools you use there. And so things can be broken down like into, into like- Tools, ingredients, the outcome of the cake. And so like things can be broken down into atomic parts for someone that's learning how to code. And this is definitely how I would run into things that when I was first going to Hackathon, it was I would see any answer as being the only answer. Like when I learned how to make a website, there's been like, okay, I finally learned. This is the only way there can be. Like this is the only route. When I make a website, this is the only thing I can do. But after, after going through it many times, I can see now like, wait, I know I, I can just approach things more conceptually. I want a website. Now I see, oh, there's not one way. There's not one only way. There's all these things on my hands. And actually being able to approach it that way. Yeah. And, and, then, <clears throat> and then let's, um, <clears throat> let's circle into the uh, the very the very beginning because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm interested to know what you think here. Ron's 52. I'm 26. You're 18. You hang out with a lot of other young kids. You're already in Gen Z, um, and <laughs> there, there's kids that are being born in 2019. Soon, kids being born in 2020. Um, what is kind of like the zeitgeist of your generation of Gen Z? Well, I mean. I think like the, like the I, I guess like what I've been seeing more and more of recently is how we're all kind of, we're all kind of human. So I guess I've been seeing more and more similarities between people in my um, more accurate age batch and people that are perhaps your age or Ron's age. And so I can probably point out uh, more similarities. Like we're all kind of confused in this world that we call life and earth and everything else. As for like the unique things, I guess like one kind of more unique thing is that this is nothing new or novel is how we're almost like digital citizens, we're digital natives, mm -hmm. where uh, for someone perhaps like you, if you were to be introduced to a new app, like some app comes out, the process will probably be like, oh, okay, here's this app, there's like this strange thing that happens, I get some feedback here and there. But for someone my age to pick up a new app or a new uh, platform, it'll probably be a bit more smooth. Like, okay, another app. Oh boy, here we go. I got the whole wallpaper filled with everything else. And they can probably get into the, into the role of things more quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess uh, another distinguishing feature is just like being more familiar and approachable to new digital spheres and things as well. Like, uh, Did you get his graduation photo in there too? <laughs> The very last one? Just no. want to make sure. No, I didn't. Oh, okay, we yeah. will. Okay, we will. Okay, okay. Cool, cool. You want to do it now? We're not even yeah. talking about it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's throw, let's throw Yo's graduation photo in there. I just want to make sure that we, well, that we, have, that we have a suit. So, so good looking photo of you. So I just want to make sure. Proud of you, you know, and uh, you're on well, your way. With, so. with this, uh, my homeroom started walking out. We, like, we were confused when to actually finish the ceremony. So we just started walking out. Then like, I figured like, we're not gonna do the hat throwing because it's unsafe. There's cardboard and corners and everything. And then I see- the, They don't do the hat throwing because no, no, there's cardboard? No, no, they did. I did not think they would. And so like, we're almost at the door when I see, okay, get your hat. So I'm like, fuck. So I just run, take my hat and I throw it like a frisbee into the auditorium. Yeah. But I was never able to find it. So that's why I'm here without my hat. But uh, continue, continue on um, where you're going. You know, your digital tech natives. Uh, so, so yeah, the digital tech natives. Uh, like, if there were a new app or a new thing to roll out, there'd be probably a uh, shorter time to uh, being to immediately approaching or immediately installing or getting familiar with it for people my age than perhaps your age, just because like the flow of like being attached to your phone and getting into these things is a yeah. lot smoother. Yeah. Um, I'm sure every generation has this, but there's also a bit of like jargon or slang that comes up as well. 
So it's like a very different, uh, like with writing text or emails, uh, if, I'm writing, if I'm sending an email to you or Ron, it might be very text-based, like just looking at the ideas, proper grammar and everything. But there is a, like if you're sending a text to someone a bit younger, you'll probably add in, like there will be improper grammar, you might use different punctuation. Totally. Yeah, repeat, yeah. repeat letters and stuff. Like it's, it's a fascinating how like these things that would be considered errors at first, they can add so much more meaning to the way you speak. And there's, it's also- Yeah, shortcuts, they're faster. Yes. Different types of things like that. I, I agree that, that that's a very good point about the um, tech it, adaptation and how quickly- And it's, it's also know. really cool how using, adding on this layer of punctuations, letters, or whatever else, and like different jargony terms, you can, it's almost like you can convey spoken speech into the text you write. Yeah. And so yeah. if you're- And so like you can yeah. uh, indicate things with like maybe a questionable tone that you might only be able to describe with body language. But inside How? of text. How do you do that? Well, uh, if you just like, uh, if you, are you sure? And you just repeat ease. Like, are you oh, sure? Oh, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like th those kinds of things. Like you, and when you read it, you know it means something else. Then yeah. are you sure? Like exactly. it's not just robotic. Are you sure? Like there's more to it. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can get. I like that. That kind of stuff's good. Yeah. But what's going on um, with the youth and um, their. Um, do do you feel like like our anxiety is anxiety a, a thing with the social media issue uh, and society phone? as in uh you, the young people with Gen Z a, uh, anxiety oh anxiety, anxiety. <laughs> yeah um I think like that's uh I think there's there's a general anxiety with everyone um I do think uh, it will come at different degrees or rates for different people. So for people my age, at least like say within my graduating class in high school, uh, there's going to be a different uh, approach and realization for anxiety as people your age. Because for you and Ron, you've already moved out of the house. You are having to work for a living. You can't just leech off your parents anymore. And so for people my age or younger, we're all still living with our parents. Like I still live with my parents because I work here in the Bay Area. And so because of that, like there's maybe some concerns, maybe taxes or other things that don't, that don't have so much of an imminent uh, doom lurking over us, if you will. And so maybe in a few years after college, when we're all moved out and we're all in our 20s and we're all in the industry, they will, we, our, my generation will see the same anxiety that you do now. And so it's like, it's okay. definitely age-based and whatever phase in life people are in. Okay, what, what are some of the things that the Gen Z is piecing together to tackle some of like the UN Sustainable Development Goals, these types of things? Like, do you feel like there's like a good amount of activism and what are the ideas that are going on in the younger generation? Well, I think like there's, I, I think uh, there's a, perhaps the same rate of activism within every age group. Okay. It just so happens that uh, with my age group, because we're more digital natives, we can rely on social media to spread things better. Like there's probably, if you were to compare uh, a five year age block, like with my group and your group, it's probably the same percentages of people that are actually activists. But because my age block is more familiar with Instagram and Twitter and can spread a meme where they can spread a hashtag at a much more rapid pace than your group can, then you get like a Greta, the 16 year old Swede, I believe uh, you can get these things spreading faster and being more prominent on the face of the news. Also, at the same time, people like saying, oh, the young, they're ambitious, they're gonna change the world for the better. But it's really only a matter of like being people sharing things on social media. Um, there is, I, I can't say there's any difference in attitude towards issues within my age group and your age group. I think uh, it's like, if, any, if, there's, if there's any notable difference, probably that people my age group are more likely to be properly educated and they're gonna be more affirming of science. And like, I guess like that typical message, that typical statement where people my age group, out of everyone my age, there might be a higher percentage of people recognizing global warming as a problem compared to people your age group because there might be a difference in education standards between those periods. Okay, I wanna ask you a couple other questions. Let's ask you about um, what do you think um, happens before we're birthed into the world, and what do you think happens after we die? What happens before we're born in the world, I guess it's uh, like uh, us as humans, we're all sort of these, not cogs in a giant machine, but we're all like, uh, like have you ever seen those cute simulations of bacteria bouncing around? Like that's all we really are. 
And so... Where do you think we come from before even that? Well, we come from somewhere? Well, a mom and a dad love each other very much. And so no, no, no. <laughs> one, one, one. Uh, oh, you mean like a before, like a going before the context of humanity and such? Yeah, do we come from somewhere else into these Earth suits? Uh, like a conscious, consciousness-wise, I think I could probably argue open individualism, that kind of what uh, Andres Gomez, mm -hmm. uh, Andres, mm -hmm. yeah, Gomez puts about, where we're all kind of part uh, of this, like we all share the same consciousness, if you will. Uh, like arguments for this can be brought up with maybe some cute phys uh, physics paradoxes and how we kind of, we're all kind of one, like as in like not one master hive mind, but like we're all kind of fitting together into one global consciousness. And then following us, they will, the story will continue. We just might not know what follows us. Sure. And so whether that means we are in a simulation, we, you can now see. So let's like, ask you that one next. Are we in a simulation? <laughs> are we in a simulation? Um, I, think it's, I think it's very much uh, reasonable to think so. Uh, I think it's like, I don't think the matter of do we live in a computer simulation is so much of an important question to tackle. I would say yes, just for giggles. I think, it's a def I think the simulation uh, viewpoint of life is a very fun one because like when you're thinking through your day or you're planning things out, you are running a simulation in your head where you're like kind of putting together different variables, different ideas. Yeah. And so you are kind of, you're making a simulation. So like it'd be very, it would be hubris to think that that simulation in your head is not one we're in. And so it's like right now, me, I'm a memory effectively. You're, it could be me remembering this discussion or it could be you 50 years down the road remembering this. And that's kind of how things come about. And then what do you think's your most controversial belief? Uh, my most controversial belief, oh God. This was brought up at the group house as a question. Uh, uh, God, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I guess like the only controversial, uh, like playing on the word controversial would be that uh, the most interesting things come when you're highly opinionated. Like, huh. so like you, like people try to be, try to obtain high agreeableness as one of the big five personality mm -hmm. traits. I think things are a lot more exciting if you go for low agreeableness. Like there might be a consequence of narcissism from that, but at least you are bringing about more information from that. And so I will either try to, like I will either try to push yeah. people's buttons or be very strongly opinionated. I might be wrong. The I mean, thesis, antithesis, and yes. then the synthesis mm -hmm. in between. And so like I might be wrong. I might be arguing a bad point. I might be just being too much of a troll, but at least there is more things revealed from that than if you were to not bring it about at all. Kind of like a, like if you were to just stick with the, if you were to be high agreeableness and just go with what people bring about, you will tend to just float along maybe the surface level conversations or such. Um, and, and like a, a neat idea I thought of that I think applies really well is, it's almost like this Venn diagram when it comes to conversations. Like you, you imagine like this circle of all the things you know and all the things you can say, and there's a circle of what I know. There's like an overlap in that. Yeah. And we will start any conversation in that overlap. And so that's why for most people, you say, did you go shopping? Everyone goes shopping. There's a nice overlap. There's a nice thing in an overlap. And then if you're both at a tech event, you'll probably talk about technology news, whatever. Yeah. And the conversation progresses as you add in more and more from your circle into that overlap until you both overlap and now you're, you know everything the other person knows. The more opinionated you- Yeah, good you, luck with that. That's hard to- Well, know, yes, yes. But like, that's the, like, it's kind of like when economics, the long run. In the long run, yeah, we'll yeah, both okay, overlap. Okay. We'll both be the same circle. And the more highly opinionated statements you can make, the more surface area on your end you're bringing in. Because there's a, difference, there's a different disparity between what you have and I have that we can explore a larger breadth of conversation there. I like that. I like that. It's a good controversial statement on disagreeableness. I like that one. Um, there's a lot of nuance that can get beget, begotten to um, if you do that well. And then last question is, what do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world? Uh, God, there's so many cheesy answers I could give. <laughs> I think like the most beautiful thing in the world is kind of everything all together, I suppose. Kind of like a because like the, the, going back to the idea of simulations and thinking to memories and different pathways, there's a very small infinitesimal chance that we end up the, where we are now. Like it could very well be that 
I may have ended up, my consciousness, whatever component of the consciousness ended up in Ron's body instead or somewhere else. And yet, with all these things tied together from the, like, even just looking at the scale of the universe, four billion, uh, the, the lifetime of Earth, four billion years, and all the things lined up well, all the, all the atoms and particles mashed together in the pristine ways, just so we could get to here right now. Yeah. And so having everything all in this pristine, like, very precisely divide, the circumstance is probably the most beautiful thing there is. Love it. Love it, yeah. <laughs> Very well said. It's a beautiful, beautiful pinnacle that we are at right now. Mm -hmm. And it's only going up. It's only going up further and further. Yes. Yeah. Well, they, that all yeah. depends on how you look <laughs> yeah. at it. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, just gosh. an opinion. You were talking about that earlier. That's just an opinion you have. Yeah. That's an optimistic opinion. <laughs> you see, one of the things, make sure that the young kids don't end up. <laughs> make, keep the positivity, the optimism, keep, but be realistic I about it. I will go outside. I'll just give a high five to everyone in the street. Just keep the optimism and energy going. <laughs> we love you. We love you, Ron. Well, last night I had an epiphany of sorts where you can... Uh, like if I believe in a utopian future, I will arrive at a utopian future. Mm -hmm. And if I don't believe, if I believe in it, we're screwed, like I always say, that's where my life will go. Mm -hmm. Thought is creation. If we get 8 billion people working in the direction of utopia because we believe in us, um, there's parallaxes that happen along the way so we can keep working on the ideas over time. Um, but yeah, that's how we can work together to get there. Yev. Thank you, man. This has been super pleasure. Yes, it's Thank been a pleasure you. for me as well. Good, I'm really glad to hear that. This has been a blast. You're big inspiration to us. You keep up this good work, okay? You keep up the spirit, this yes. hustle. You've done a great job so far. Yes, keep I'm inspiring sure other people. And I hope those that were tuning in, we greatly appreciate it. We'd love for you to give your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Also, get engaging more with young people in your communities. They're inspirational. Get talking to them, get learning from them. And also talk to them, ask them questions about their lives and what's going on with them and the even younger generations because they're the ones we pass along the control of the earth to. Also, check out the links in the bio below to yev.bar, his Facebook's LinkedIn profiles. Also, share the content with more people. Ron, thank you for producing and directing. We greatly appreciate it. And also, do cool things. Like design awesome merch and get paid for it. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Spread these thought-provoking questions. That link's in the bio. Also our Patreon, our PayPal, our cryptocurrency links are down there. Support the artists and entrepreneurs in your community. Support us if you believe in us. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest those dreams into the world. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Peace. Woo!